Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainor, New Kids on the Block, Sean Paul, Sum 41, Whitney Cummings, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. Hey, Em. Season 6, episode 11, we have arrived at Bora Bora Part 2. I love being on vacation. I'm having the time of my life, by the way. I mean, obviously. The other thing that I was thinking about as I was watching this, I don't want to say never because I still have hope, but it just feels so unlikely that we would ever get a full family vacation these days and specifically one that's then filmed. You know, like they have so many things going on in their own individual lives. They have their own nuclear families scheduling. Like it just feels like an impossible undertaking to really plan a trip like this. Whereas here we have all of them together in one location for days at a time. Like this is the type of content you really can't recreate. And this was amazing because it really felt like it took you through every single day of their vacation. Like how fucking excited would you be if they did a The Kardashians vacation episode? It won't happen. You're right. But oh my God, that would be the dream. The thing is, if they did a The Kardashians vacation, it could easily be its own, what, five episode series? Oh, I mean (laughs) – yeah, except how many episodes do we get in the season that that's going to take up three quarters of it? No, of course. I'm saying if they somehow brought back the spinoffs and did like a Kardashian's vacation spinoff, I for one would sign up for that immediately. <laughs> I cannot even imagine a scenario in which we wouldn't. I also feel like because everyone is confined, you get the best dynamics on the family vacation. Like think about next season when they go to the Dominican Republic and it's not just the family there it's also Caitlyn's family and so Brody and Brandon come and join and it just creates a whole new set of dynamics between everybody there was no feeling like watching keeping up in 2011 and Brody Jenner coming on your screen and just feeling as though it was the most wild crossover of all time because you knew him from the hills so all of a sudden he's on vacation with Kim and you're like wait does that mean Kim knows Lauren Conrad Yeah, I mean, do you know how many nights that Kim and Lauren Conrad probably spent at Hyde Nightclub together? I would love, actually, a glimpse into what Brody and Kim's relationship was like pre-Kardashians because there had to be an incredible amount of overlap in terms of just their social lives and where they were spending time and who they were spending time with. There must have been. I mean, Kim and Brody are two of the most connected people in Hollywood because let's not forget, Brody also has the entire Foster connection. It's really crazy when you break down that whole uh, connection between all of them. And I feel like what I would want more than anything is a glimpse into what any of their relationships within that, you know, Gigi Hadid, Thompson, foster all of that what those relationships are like now i feel like we have absolutely zero idea i know but i feel like the fact that we have zero idea in some ways is an answer enough meaning if there was such a strong relationship these aren't the type of people that don't post or are overly private i think we would see more of it you know my thing with it is is that i don't even necessarily want confirmation of the strength of the relationship i want insight as to like 
What's the formality? Who gets invited to what? Who has to invite who because it's just the right thing to do? What events are people invited to? Is there ever just a dinner to catch up, a phone call, a text? Like who's texting who on their birthday? That's the stuff that I would be so interested in knowing. I'll tell you though, that's the type of stuff that I'm interested in knowing even for non-famous families. Like those little details to me are such fucking tea. I know. The other thing about these Bora Bora episodes in terms of why they are so deeply entertaining is really the sheer amount of people we are watching at any given time. Because even without Chloe and forget about Chris Humphreys, forget about Mason, who I actually think gave us great content. We had eight people at any given time. It was Kim, Courtney, Chris, Rob, Scott, Caitlin, Kendall, and Kylie. Now current day Kardashians, like we got a solid four. We have Kim, Chloe, Courtney, and Chris. And maybe some others will pop in here and there. You know, maybe Kylie will do some charity with a little episode cameo, but it's never what it is now. Like we would never get an entire episode that's focused on a Rob and Scott feud. Rob's not on the show and Scott maybe has a scene every three weeks. Yeah, I can't lie. I really miss that element of it. I really feel like one of the key parts of the show was the fact that the family was so big and there were just so many things going on at once as a result of just the sheer size of it. And now, of course, like the family is still a big family. That's still a draw of the show. But the dynamics we get are so minimal in compared to what we could have gotten had everything stayed the same. I know. And there's a scene which I actually think is in episode 12. So we'll cover it next week. But, you know, Chris Humphreys and Rob are kind of getting into it because Chris doesn't like the way that Rob is talking to Kim. And Courtney in her confessional says something like, you know, I understand Chris being protective of Kim, but also he has no idea about our sibling dynamics. He doesn't know the way that Kim and Rob interact. And I'm sitting here thinking like, how did I now turn into Chris Humphreys? Because I have no idea Kim and Rob's dynamic current day. I have a baseline understanding based on history. I have what I think it is, but I don't really know. I haven't seen them interact in years, similarly to Scott and Rob. Right. Like, don't make me feel like a stranger in my own family. Yes. I feel like a stranger in my own goddamn home. Exactly. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, they're washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm, rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. 
So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen. And every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so this episode picks up right where we left off last week with the diamond earring aftermath. And I know we got into it a little bit last week because 10 and 11 kind of bled into one another. So I think we almost covered the first scene of this, but obviously I rewatched it again before recording and like, I'll just never get over it. I just will never, ever get over it. One, how clear it was the difference between Kim and Chris and what they prioritized and how even just the way that he reacted to this was not one of the most glaring realizations for her. But on top of that, her ability to reframe the entire situation just never gets old to me. Like she is so upset, so livid in the moment. And then pretty immediately after she's able to flip it in her head as, well, you know, that's just him. He's got a playful. You know, that's something that Kim does with Chris throughout this entire episode and this entire vacation, which is take something that Chris has done, which is objectively annoying or wrong or overly aggressive or just not his place and just be like how funny is Chris like how funny is Chris trying to get to know the family or being so playful I love the side he brings out of me and I think that Courtney is really the only one that's sitting there being like are we all watching the same thing go down right now well I think Courtney's kind of like wait are you gaslighting me? And that's honestly how I felt watching this. I'm like, Kim, you did not just become the most viral meme possibly of all time for losing this diamond earring just to turn it in our faces and make us fall in love with his more playful, rougher side. This whole episode, I felt so upset for Courtney that she didn't have Chloe there. Like this entire thing would not have gone down in the way that it did in terms of, you know, everyone... Again, we'll see this next episode when we recap it. Everyone kind of coming around on Chris in the end and everyone thinking, you know, he's got his things, but he's a good guy. If Chloe was there, this would not have gone down like that. Not just because Chloe would have been so opinionated, but because Chloe and Courtney would have spent the entire time riling each other up back and forth to the point where like Chris Humphreys would not have gotten rest. But I also think that it would have impacted Chris's behavior, not just their ability to kind of talk about it and like debrief. I actually think Chris would have maybe been a little bit less aggressive with Chloe there. I almost feel like she was kind of intimidating. You know what I think it also was with Chris is that I do think that he cared about them all liking him. Watching him in this episode, you may think that he didn't, but I think he was nervous and I think that it caused him to act in a way that it was a little much sometimes. And so I think that with Chloe, there, probably the person that made him the most nervous in the family. I think instead of resting and being like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to win her over silently. He would have amped it up even more. Right. Like I guess it's possible that just her very presence could have kind of riled him up. I mean, the scene when they're kayaking and it's, you know, Chris, Courtney in one and Chris Humphreys jumps in, he kind of gets on the back of the kayak and he ends up flipping it. And like, they all totally lose it. And he says in his confessional, you know, 
I just don't know why they care so much about getting their hair wet and ruining their makeup. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this, like, I don't believe that Chris Humphreys is a terrible person. He's not my kind of guy. I find him to be very abrasive and honestly just pretty annoying. But like, I don't think he's this terrible person. I just think that he is such a fundamental inability to understand the way that they operate. And thank God it was only 72 days that they were married. Because if you can't understand why they don't want to get their hair wet and ruin their makeup in Bora Bora when there aren't even paparazzi, like you don't want to spend a day in Calabasas. Because yes, could it be called superficial? Could it be called overly image conscious? Absolutely. But that's just who they are. And they're not changing. And I think that specifically with Kim, you know, he hadn't come around yet to be like, well, that's just how she is. I think he really felt as though he could change her. I really think that he thought he could change the entire family too. I mean, and also, could you imagine if they had really tried to make it last longer than those 72 days and Kim was like, okay, I don't want to get divorced. Let's really work on this. Like I, it's too embarrassing to get divorced after 72 days or like, I really do love him. I want to try and make it work, whatever the reasoning would be. And Chris Humphreys stuck around for when they took things to like the next level of Kardashian, like to the place where they are now, or even as close to it as they could have gotten without having Kanye in their lives at that time. Like, oh my God, Chris Humphreys would have hated that in a way that I can't even properly describe. That would have been chaos, absolute fucking chaos. But I'll tell you, that would have been content. You know what else it is too? Like, one of the things I was so taken aback by in this episode and, and all of the episodes in Bora Bora was how meddlesome Chris was. Like he really just stuck his nose where it didn't belong, made comments about Scott and Courtney's sex life and their parenting that like it just so clearly was not his place to make. I can't imagine all of the Kardashian events that happened over the years being paired with Chris Humphrey's inappropriate and unnecessary commentary. I mean, not that this would ever happen, obviously, because if one existed, the other wouldn't. But could you imagine Chris and Kanye together? Like if hypothetically Kanye ended up dating one of the other sisters and then all of a sudden they became brother-in-laws, that would have been an absolute disaster. Oh my God. I like, usually when we come up with these hypotheticals, it's like, oh my God, I need to see that. Or like, I would do anything for that. Like, I would not wish that interaction or that dynamic on my worst enemy. No, no. I also think if you are Kim, that is absolute worst case scenario. If I was Kim, my like constant anxiety dream would be like, I'm stuck in a room with Kanye and Chris Humphreys. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not even Kim. And I think that that's my constant anxiety dream. Same. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray, and it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray, and Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real, and for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. 
Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. So the other thing about this, there's so much here. As you guys can tell, we're not going scene by scene just because I think we just want to talk about all the different plot points. But Rob and Scott, like, let's not forget just a few episodes ago, you know, Rob's over at Courtney's house basically saying, yeah, I haven't really been around in the last year or so because I can't stand Scott. I hate being in the same room as him. And Courtney was trying to voice to Rob of like, I understand that. But also, if you want to have a relationship with Mason, you kind of got to figure that out because this is Mason's father. And so a lot of this is really coming to a head on this trip because they're getting to the point where like they can't be in the same room. And of course, that leads to them ultimately resolving things. But I really do think like maybe some of it a little bit dramatized, of course, this was real. Like truly, Rob could not stand Scott. And then as a result of it, I think Scott started to get defensive because he felt so unwanted. But this wasn't Scott's issue with Rob. This was Rob's issue with Scott that then turned into Scott's issue with Rob. The craziest part about it is that when we talk about this dynamic a couple of episodes ago, it's very much Rob acting as a protective brother. And he's like, you know, I see the way Lamar is to Chloe. Scott's never like that with Courtney. That's not the type of partner he is to her. And like, that's my sister. And like, he, she deserves that. Meanwhile, you fast forward to this episode. And the fact of the matter is, is that the reason they're not getting along is because Rob misses his friend that he used to fuck around with. You know, that, that role of protective brother quickly gets dropped as soon as Scott says that he's able to drink and fuck around with Rob again. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. And it's not that I watched this and thought that Rob was being disingenuous previously when he voiced that to Courtney, because I do think if you asked him, that's what he would have said and what he would have felt. But when you're in an environment like this, where he so clearly has a picture in his mind of what it would have normally been or what it used to be, you see really where his frustration lies. And Actually, if you want to like scale it back, if he was being this overprotective brother who really wanted to honor Courtney's wishes, the last thing he would be doing is embracing Scott's drinking, you know, because he knows that's such a source of contention between Scott and Courtney. Right, exactly. And this is piggybacking off of Scott going to Vegas, which is a whole other dynamic with Scott's drinking where Courtney in the episode where Scott goes to Vegas is having an incredible amount of anxiety of the thought of him being there. Like not just drinking, but the fact that he could get out of hand and revert back to his old behavior. And listen, it's not like in that episode, Courtney and Rob had a conversation about her concerns about Scott, but overall, like 
Rob is very, very well aware of how Courtney feels in regards to Scott's drinking. And so for Rob to be like, you know what? My fun is a little bit more important than Courtney's sanity because Rob knows it. When when Scott goes back to the room after they spend the whole day together, Rob says to him, you know, is Courtney going to be mad that you were drinking? And Scott's like, no, of course not. We didn't get out of hand or anything. And Rob's like, okay. Like, you know exactly how Courtney's going to feel and you're encouraging this behavior for your own benefit anyway. It's such a sign though, and I know we were saying this a few weeks ago with another situation. It really is so telling though as to Rob's age. Like the 23-year-old or however old he was in this moment and kind of just the immaturity was so on display. And by the way, if you think in this episode, episode 12, if you guys haven't watched yet, holy shit. I have so much to say about next week's episode with Rob. But yeah, that is a constant point of contention in the family, which is just Rob's maturity level. And when Courtney and Scott have the conversation where Courtney says to Scott, like, you have to be the one to make up with Rob because Rob's never going to come to you. Rob is so incredibly immature. And so just be the bigger person, be the quote, bigger brother and make things right. And that's exactly what Scott does. And Rob is so taken aback by the fact that Scott even apologized in the first place. Meanwhile, Scott had nothing to really apologize for to Rob in that exact moment. Yeah, even when Rob was accepting the apology, he was like, I appreciate it because I know this isn't something that you normally do. You know, like there was just one other dig added at the last moment just for dramatic effect. It was really interesting, that dynamic. And you know what was interesting too is on one hand, you had this dynamic where in front of the family, Rob and Scott could not stop fighting. And then you would have these moments where it's just Rob, Chris, and Scott, and all of a sudden they're best friends again. (laughs) Well, by the way, if you're Rob or Scott, you're holding on to each other for dear life because neither of you are trying to latch on to Chris. I felt like they liked him though. I honestly just think Rob thought the NBA thing was cool. Like with Lamar, there was that initial moment of, holy shit, my brother-in-law is a Laker. But then it just grew into this very deep, close relationship. With Chris, I think he just couldn't believe that he was about to maybe have two NBA brother-in-laws, which (laughs) by the way, little does he know as we go down the line. Yeah, I I think there's an element of that too. And I actually think that if you were to ask Scott what he was thinking in those moments, Scott was probably like, I thought he was a fine dude. He was fun to hang out with. But I also knew that like he was going to cause more mayhem in this family than I was going to at the moment. And I welcomed that with open arms. I was going to say, in some ways, he made Scott look really good because they both caused mayhem, but in a very, very different way. Yeah, I mean, they were just different. Like the difference is that When Scott was at his worst, he was almost like a tornado. Like everything in his path was just destroyed. But when Scott was at his best, he garnered like an insane amount of sympathy from them. And he really was working on himself in a way that the rest of the family got on board and wanted to support him, wanted to help him, especially once Mason was born. The thing with Chris is that he was just annoying. Like he was just annoying in a way where like all of these little comments he made and all of these little digs he made and all of these little annoying things that he did just kept building and building over time to the point where it was like a pressure. Like they just like couldn't handle it anymore. And that's what happened with Kim. It was like that 72 days was just 72 days of like dig, dig, dig. And then finally she was like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. What the fuck did I do? But it, I feel like it happened so gradually over time that it took them a second to realize what was happening. Okay. Yes. One million percent. And also two other things that I felt were really present. Number one, 
Chris had a deep opposition to just the way that the family operated generally in a way that Scott didn't. Like, even if we want to take it from a very surface level, the hair, the makeup, the extravagance, the emphasis on luxury and public perception, Chris could not understand that or get on board with that in a way that Scott totally could. You know, Scott had been in it from the beginning, so he saw what was happening. He saw the trajectory, but he also embraced it. He liked that. He liked dressing in these, you know, super over-the-top suits. He liked coming home in an Aston Martin. Like, he would never have been the one judging Kim for crying over the $75,000 earring. Yeah, maybe when he's talking about it later in the day with Rob and Caitlin and Chris, he kind of can understand it from Chris's side. But if that was Scott and he lost a $75,000 Rolex, hypothetically, in the ocean, he would have been way worse off than Kim. So I think on that level, Scott was far more aligned with the family from like a value basis than Chris was, but also physically what you were talking about where, you know, in Scott's, let's say worse moments, yes, he was very physically disruptive, but on a daily basis, his playfulness did not come from physical acts in the way that Chris did. Like Scott would find no enjoyment in jumping in the water and flipping a kayak. He would maybe make a lot of comments that really riled up Chris and Caitlin, but he's never going to do it in that way. And actually for this family, that was more kosher. Like they can fight with words all day, but don't get their hair wet. You know, and like Scott understood that. So the thing with Scott is that it's not just that Scott liked the same things as them and therefore he was able to relate to them. It was that that was Scott's favorite part of all of this especially before Mason was born. I mean, the extravagance that being part of the Kardashian family and what that afforded him was the thing that kept him going. Because you would have these moments with Scott where he was like, I can't stand being around any of them. They all hate me. They all are always disappointed in me. They're always criticizing me. I hate how they're constantly meddling. And yet, of course, there was the Courtney aspect of it. And of course, there was the Mason aspect of it that once they had a child together. He was really willing to put up with those things for the sake of his family. But prior to that, he was really willing to put up with those things because that was exactly the lifestyle that he wanted. And it took him a really long time to actually switch those things in his mind where he says to Chloe in that first season of the Kardashians, like, oh my God, the family's the best part of all of this. He's like being with everybody and having everybody around all the time. Like, oh my God, that is, that is the draw of everything. But that's not how he felt in the beginning. That was the thing that he put up with so that he could have the lifestyle that he wanted. I know. And it's like you hear all of that. And if you didn't know any of the key players and you were just listening to that, it could feel like maybe a little bit of a red flag. But to me, after watching so many different partners come and go from the family, I really do think none of them could be with a person that doesn't understand the need and desire for luxury. Like, okay, if you're Kendall, for example, you maybe want to date someone on the lower end of the spectrum of that, right? Because you yourself say you don't prioritize it in that same way. Fine. But generally speaking, there's a baseline for how they operate that a person has to get on board with because I think they are all past the point of dealing with someone's judgment around that. Like they're already judged pretty much by the entire world for it. The person that's then entering their family needs to embrace it. So like, let's take Pete Davidson, for example. In no world, no matter how much money he would ever have, would he operate in the way that Kris Jenner operates. Like the things that she thinks about is are not even thought processes that would ever cross his mind. Yet I bet you he goes to Palm Springs for a family dinner and he's fully on board with it. And he's not making comments the way that Chris Humphreys was. Like I can imagine him doing it hilariously, but not in a way that's like, wow, you guys are really out of touch with reality in a way that's making me second guess your character because that was Chris's approach. 
Right, which was a crazy approach to have while on vacation in Bora Bora. It's one thing if you and Kim are hanging out and you're supposed to be having this quiet evening in and she notices her earrings gone and is hysterically crying and it's like, oh my God, what did I sign up for? Like, I just wanted a quiet evening in with my girlfriend and like the drama and the materialistic seeping into every area of our lives. I just can't do it. But if you are sitting in like a gorgeous resort in Bora Bora, like it's not the time to make comments about where you draw the line in terms of material goods. It's like you just shut your mouth. And if Kim wants to be upset about it, let her be upset about it. Or if you want to say like, Kim, it's not the end of the world. There's insurance for these things. We'll figure it out. No big deal. Like you want to diffuse the situation. Fine. But to add judgment to the situation while benefiting from it is like, no. Right. Like adding judgment to that just does not help the situation. And specifically, if you're someone who's trying to stay in it for the long haul, they're only getting more extravagant. They're only getting richer. The displays of wealth are going to be only more over the top, even if they're showing them less. So like you got to just strap in. The other thing with the family is like you got to choose one or the other, right? Like you either fully get their lifestyle and you're on board and supportive in a Scott sort of a way, or you have embrace the size of the family and really taken and understood what makes them so special from just the familial aspect like Lamar did at the time. Chris Humphreys didn't either. He not only spent the entire time judging them and critiquing them, but he also put very minimal effort into embracing the family dynamic. Like if you watch those scenes where they're just at lunch or they're just at a meal and they're trying to ask him questions, He's giving them nothing. Like he's giving them one word answers. He's really not caring to let them know him or to find out the aspects of the family that he's going to want to really embrace. Like I was shocked by the lack of effort that he was putting in actually. Wait, also what about when he finds out that Kim was married before? Oh my God, that was crazy. It's just crazy because in this episode, you know, he's so freaked out that there was this, what he considers to be a huge part for life that he has no idea about. And then the preview for next week is him asking Caitlin permission to marry Kim. You know, like he has this moment of total freaking out. He can't believe how unfamiliar he actually is with this person that he feels he knows so well. Like, meanwhile, that faded real quick. Okay. And that's the thing that we were saying last week, which is like, okay. We've spent so much time trying to like defend Kim's decision here. So much time trying to say like, you know, Kim really wanted to get married. She had a very one track mind. Here's where all of the other siblings were. Here's where she was in comparison to them. And how, here's how that made her feel. And, you know, Chris came in as almost like the perfect storm at the perfect time for this to happen. We've really spent so much time justifying the fact that Kim did something that she knew was against her better judgment. The fact that Chris Humphreys doesn't have to sit here and do the same thing is like preposterous to me. Like he spent the entire time fundamentally disagreeing with her, every member of her family, feeling like he didn't know her, feeling like there were all of these aspects of her that he not only didn't know, but didn't really like. And then fast forward to the end of the vacation is three weeks later. And Chris Humphreys is asking Caitlin's permission to marry Kim. Right. That's why I'm saying to myself, you know, I think you like some of this shit more than you're leading on. Or there was a fame element for him there. There was something that he was getting out of this and that he has never been forced to answer that question of. Kim has been the only one forced to explain herself. Like, put Chris Humphreys on the stand and let him explain exactly what went on here. Well, I also think, though, because, like, obviously I agree with you and I know we were talking about that last week, 
And I actually think we were talking about that, what, like a few days ago, maybe when we were in the airport. <laughs> you guys don't understand. This is all, now that we're watching these episodes, this is like all we can think about. Were, weren't we just having these conversations kind of recently? Yes, of course we were. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay. So like, yes, I totally agree with that. But also, and I know this is going to sound um, like really all over the place because we just have made a million points about how like, what did he see in Kim given that so many of her qualities are exactly the things he claimed to be repulsed by. That being said, Kim as a person, when you kind of remove the other things, and I know you can't remove them because they are part of what makes her her, Kim as a person or as a girlfriend, I think was very captivating to him. And that can't be lost in all of this. I I sometimes feel like when we're having this conversation, that element almost gets forgotten. And like, remove the family for a second, remove some of her more materialistic qualities. Again, I know you cannot remove them. They are part of her and part of what he would be marrying. But I think he was so drawn to her and just like the way in which she existed. I think that he couldn't believe she was real in a lot of ways. Oh, of course. And you know, had they continued dating for longer, it would have made sense to me. The thing that didn't make sense to me was the rush to the engagement and the wedding. And there has to be a role that Chris Humphreys plays in that. I mean, it's it can't just be Kim. And I think that after the 72-day marriage ended, all of the blame went to Kim, especially because that's how Chris Humphreys really spun the narrative. But like, what was the rush for Chris? What was the rush for Chris to propose? What was the rush for Chris to get married so quickly? I mean, I guess when I'm thinking about it, it's like all Kim had to do was say yes. Chris was the one that had to go out, buy a ring, ask permission to marry, uh, like really think this thing through and rush into it in a way that not that Kim wasn't because she was expecting all of these things and she wanted all of these things, but she was never the one that was going to pull the trigger first. No, I know. It's just so fucking crazy. Like, I cannot believe we have been able to watch them grow and be with them as they've grown in this way. I was thinking recently, uh, Teresa Judice was on her podcast talking about Melissa, and she was like, listen, I got married on the show. I gave birth on the show. I lost my parents on the show. I went to jail on the show. Like, we are not the same. And I was thinking about that in terms of Kim, not comparatively speaking to any of them, because Chloe and Courtney did just as much, if not more. But wow, she really took us through it. Wouldn't you die for Kim to use that as a TikTok audio because it's really trending right now? Like, not that Chloe and Courtney couldn't, they 100% could, and it would be iconic if they did. But Kim would really take us to the next level there, I think. Oh, that would take me out. I mean, anytime Kim engages in like a viral TikTok trend, I'm immediately on board. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondering app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college... 
I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, you want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. Okay, so the two other plots to discuss here, one, Chris and Caitlin's vow renewal, and then second, Scott and Courtney's just continual fighting. In terms of the vow renewal, I'm so much less interested to talk about it from the angle of like Chris and Caitlin's relationship and, you know, Chris's hesitation and maybe how some of that could actually be because she had fears about their marriage lasting and she didn't want to renew their vows. Like we can get into that another time. I want to talk about what we're seeing on our screen, which is what I believe to be a hundred percent true and really not overly dramatized. Chris really having some serious body image issues. And I think what I was feeling while watching it the most is that she clearly felt so isolated because One, I think she felt that the people around her couldn't relate on a personal level to having these body image issues. But on top of it, they weren't being that receptive. Like when she goes shopping with Kim for what she's going to potentially wear to the ceremony and she's just so frustrated by the whole process, she kind of walks away and she's crying. You know, Courtney specifically could not have been more dismissive. And it felt frustrating to me. I was almost thinking like, thank God Chloe's not here because if Chloe was here and she had to listen to Chris be upset about this, it would have been like the least warm display we've ever seen. Yeah, this was one of those moments where it was like, thank God Chloe wasn't on the trip because we know exactly, I can hear the conversation in my head, how Chloe would have reacted in this moment. And I can tell you with certainty, it's not the same Chloe that we know her now to be. Exactly. It is not the same Chloe, especially Chloe, who is so understanding of what Chris is going through because she knows what it's like herself to you know, be so scrutinized by the media, by the public. Yeah, now this would have been a very empathetic display that just like didn't exist at the time. I mean, Chloe and Chris's, I know that's not the focus of this because Chloe isn't even really here on this trip, but Chloe and Chris's relationship really changed after everything went down with Lamar. I think that Chris was really the only person that was clued in even remotely to what was happening and she knew maybe one one hundredth of what was actually going down because there are those stories of you know Chloe went to confront Lamar and Chris was with her Chris was with Chloe and accidentally saw something going down with Lamar and so there was an understanding between the two of them there where Chris kind of was privy to that and I think that Chris really became Chloe's ride or die in those moments and really stepped up in a way that I think that Chloe was able to see her in a new light and their relationship changed forever after that. 
Right. Like when watching these, we would have never thought that Chris and Chloe would be the two to build houses right next to each other and remove the property line so that there could be just complete access. Like that would have never happened back in the day. And thank God they got to where they are now. But in terms of the vow renewal thing, you know, when Chris is kind of listing her conditions of how she would be down to do it if they were to do it, she says like, I'll do it as long as there aren't photos everywhere that are being blasted out. And then she looks at him and she's like, because I know you're going to say to your vlog, oh my God, you guys, you know, my mom and Caitlin are renewing their vows. And it was almost like she was mocking in a way Kim's relationship with her social media, which is so funny because I still don't think at this time they fully understood just how Kim was about to monetize that. Whereas like you get a little bit later, Chris is the first one to be on board with Kim vlogging fucking everything because it only is then going to increase their ability to monetize. Do you know how funny it is? Like, and and I actually don't think that I thought about it until you were just saying it right now. But do you know how fucking funny it is for Chris to be like, no cameras, no photos, no vlogging. Like, I don't want any memory of this at all. Meanwhile, it was entirely filmed for the show. Okay, yes, but I do actually think in the moment there is something scarier about photos than there is about video. Oh, no, I, I agree too. I, I I totally get that. It was just a hilarious moment because I forgot for a second that we were watching something that was filmed. Like as I am watching this and she's saying, you know, I don't want any memory of this. I don't want it on camera. I don't want anything. I'm like, yeah, don't do anything. Duh, like rules accepted. Meanwhile, I'm I'm watching it. Like I forgot for a second that in order for me to be seeing and hearing her say, that she didn't want it on camera. It had to have been on camera in the first place. <laughs> I know. I, th- I do think that it goes to show you that they got so comfortable with those cameras being around. You know, like the crew really just was their second family. In this episode, there were two hilarious, like almost throwaway lines that I don't think I recognized how funny they were the first time that I watched it. The first one was during this scene when Courtney is saying like, no, no worries. Like, I don't, I don't need any pictures. Like, I don't even like having pictures in my house. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? You don't like having pictures in your house. Like that was the most Courtney line I've ever heard in my life. And the other was not in the scene, but I just remembered it, which is when Chris, Rob and Scott are all hanging out and Chris walks into where they are and Scott like gives him a hug and he's like, Ooh, what are you wearing? Like cologne wise. And Chris says whatever the name of it was. And Scott's like, Oh, I thought it was unbreakable by Chloe and Lamar. And <laughs> And Chris is the one that says, oh, you mean strong enough for a man, but sensitive enough for a woman? I'm like, wait a second. That is so funny. (laughs) No, I know. I fucking lost it when Chris said that. I was like, wait, how do you know about that? I also felt like, wait, how do you know Lamar? Yes, that's how I felt too. Like, who taught you about Lamar? But then I'm like, wait, I wonder if they like ever played a game together. Like they must have overlapped at some point in this season. Kim as an NBA wife just kills me. It just fucking kills me. Kim as an NBA wife is like hysterical, obviously, and just not sustainable. However, Chloe as an NBA wife made more sense to me than I think any other NBA wife has. Like Chloe to me is the embodiment of an NBA wife. And I don't mean that at all in a negative way. Like she really embraced that role. And I understood why she continued to date basketball players after Lamar. And if she continued to date basketball players after Tristan, I still wouldn't even be surprised because I think that role of supportive NBA wife is just entirely enticing to her. Yeah. Oh my God. I think that in some ways, even just the act of traveling to go to the games and you know, knowing the rigorous schedule is like part of her love language entirely. And also she's definitely on the same like wake up morning workout schedule, which 
is big. But the other thing about this is, you know, Scott and Courtney's just continual fighting and it really comes more to a head, I think, next week. But one of my takeaways from this, which isn't overly uncommon by any means, but I just felt that it was very on display here, is that Scott had a really conflicted relationship with Mason being born because obviously it's his first child. He loves him more than anything in the entire world. And he was a really good dad, but there was a very real amount of jealousy going on. He really did not understand how all of a sudden he was not Courtney's number one priority. And even though if he was choosing, he'd rather have it be that way. Of course, he wants the mother of his children to care for and prioritize their child. But it really reared its head in some of these moments, specifically when he was drinking a little bit. You saw that come out a little. And I think that that's a really difficult, you know, dynamic to try to figure out. Yeah. And I know we want to save a lot of this conversation for next week because it really reaches its head with the two of them. And there's a lot more to analyze in this next episode coming up. But the one thing that I will say about the jealousy aspect of their relationship in terms of the way Scott felt towards Courtney now that they had Mason was that I think it's actually the reason that they were able to get along so well and co-parent so well together in that in-between phase of after the breakup, but before Travis, because I think Scott always loved being a father and I think he was always a really good dad. But once the jealousy element of it was removed because the romantic relationship between Courtney and Scott was removed and therefore Scott wasn't constantly trying to balance being a father and Courtney being a mom and also wanting and craving that attention from Courtney that he wasn't fully getting. I think he was really able to embrace her as a partner and they just worked so much better together. I mean, listen, I think this relationship always had an expiration date. So you can't necessarily say like had Courtney given him more attention or had the kids not slept in Courtney's bed and Scott was in the guest room that they 100% would have made it. But like there were a lot of things there that contributed to the end of their relationship and Scott not being able to handle or process those things. Yeah. And also kind of having a little bit of an inability to fully vocalize that, not only because he couldn't, but also because it's a very unfamiliar and kind of strange territory to navigate. Like, how do you put some of those feelings into words in a way that doesn't make it sound like your perception of a situation and your appreciation for the way that the mother of your children mothers your children isn't very present. Like it, there, I mean, there's so much there, so much there. Next week it gets really intense. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Okay. Well, I think that that is it for this week. We'll be back next week, episode 12. So much to get into there. So much to fucking get into there. And, uh, I can't wait. I love being on this ride. Anything else you want to mention? No, I just, I, I'm so sad that Bora Bora is eventually going to come to an end. I know. But we got a lot to look forward to. I know. Okay. Well, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. Isabel and I will see you later this week for Bravo. And then Julie and I will be back on Monday for a regular episode.